Hello everyone, this is the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast, and I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips and tricks for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can get to success a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because we are all busy and we're here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we learned what are opportunity zones, how you should hire the best team ever, and what types of asset classes you should be investing in today's market. In this episode, we're going to learn why Silicon Valley could be a good place to invest, what happened to office spaces during the last downturn, things that an investor should make sure to cover when looking at purchasing an office, what types of leases are standard for office space, and most importantly, what could be the future of office space. Our guest is Eduardo Zepeda. He began managing commercial properties in downtown San Francisco in 2008 as a part-time property manager for a family office. He expanded their portfolio and went into becoming a full-time asset manager and leasing director for their holdings. And today he manages north of $100 million in combined assets that are multi-tenant office and retail property. He is also leveraging the knowledge that he has acquired over the years to pursue his own real estate investments as a principal with a focus on light to moderate value-add multifamily or small commercial properties in Silicon Valley. Here we go. Eduardo, thank you so much for being here with us today. We have spoken a couple of weeks ago, and I thought you would be a great person to have on the podcast. Can you give us a little bit more insights into who you are and what our listeners should know about you? Thanks, Stephanie, for having me on the podcast. I started as a property manager about 10 years ago on a part-time basis here in San Francisco. I grew up in the Bay Area, so once I finished school, I was looking for something to get into on the real estate front. It's just something that's always interested me. So I found an opening for a part-time property management assistant that would be assisting the senior property manager managing multi-tenant office buildings downtown in San Francisco. I didn't really know it at the time, but I was kind of stepping into a family office operation with several holdings that they have here in the downtown area of San Francisco. And since then, my role has expanded into more of an asset manager role where I kind of handle the performance of the assets. And as the portfolio has expanded and this group has acquired more commercial real estate, my role and responsibilities have also increased over that 10-year span. Now I'm focused on also acquiring assets of my own here in the Bay Area. 
that's a perfect segue into my first question to you, which is making a case for investing in Silicon Valley. Why do you like this area? What really attracts you to Silicon Valley? You have been here for 12 years focused on real estate. So I would love to hear your insights over time. I didn't really know it at the time since I was still pretty young, but I was entering my role in this profession during one of the worst recessions locally and obviously nationwide. I've witnessed how much the local economy here in the Bay Area has grown over that time, whether it's in residential, multifamily, or on the commercial side as well. And, you know, one thing I've learned about the Bay Area, it's kind of like this perfect storm of, of supply and demand economics, where you have finite fixed amount of land and a very strong demand, not only for housing, but also for space to occupy, uh, whether it's office, industrial, or just land to develop and improve. So I think the macroeconomic factors for the Bay Area are very compelling for that degree, whether you're looking for a more of a short-term value-add project with an exit or a long-term hold. I think there's a compelling argument in both cases for investing in this area. Even during this economic times? The challenge right now that I see is that prices are very lofty. The environment here is very competitive and there's a lot of capital that, you know, they're chasing yield. The groups that really like real estate are willing to transact even in, in low yields, you know, low cap rates. So I think it's challenging on a short-term basis because there may not be enough yield to justify a short-term hold. I do think that if you're a long-term investor, you're going to be in a really good position in a few years or long-term once you start to realize that cash flow and the increase in NOI or the increase in value of the property. What was the vacancy rate like back then, if you can remember? And what were some of the major issues that the portfolio of properties you were managing were facing at that time? My first year or two was really focused on junior tasks. So I was doing a lot of interacting with some of the tenants, coordinating vendors, sending notices of, of late rent payments and, and so forth. I did get introduced to the leasing aspect of it. We were doing deals somewhere in the 20s on a per square foot annualized basis, sometimes mm -hmm. even in the high teens. There was definitely a lot of inventory for space back then. And I think the demand was pretty low, especially compared to now where the vacancy rate is hovering in San Francisco, somewhere around 5% for office. Clearly, the demand has stayed very strong throughout, but I just remember that on a rental rate basis, it was quite different than what it is today. From $20 per square foot, what are offices charging on average nowadays? It depends on the building type. My area of focus is downtown San Francisco. Within our portfolio, we have mostly multi-tenant class B and class C properties. Depending on the part of town and the part of the financial district or south of market, you know, anywhere from the high 40s on an annualized per square foot basis all the way up to the high 60s, low 70s for a class B, class A high rise. You can go anywhere from the mid 70s, low 80s, all the way up to the low 100s or higher, depending on the building and the area. So now that you are getting into real estate investing yourself, what should investors look for when buying an office, for example? It could be quite different from a traditional real estate sense where, you know, if you're kind of getting in on the ground floor and you're a kind of mom and pop or individual or a family that is looking to get into office, there's many different aspects of an office building, especially if it's multi-tenant that are to be aware of. There's kind of a long list, but just to name a few, getting a working knowledge of the building systems, the HVAC, boilers, chillers, electrical, and those types of systems that depending on the way the leases are structured, 
could be an expense to the landlord or they could be expenses to the tenant. Having some working knowledge as to the way that those are operating at that property. Have a decent working knowledge as to the different types of leases that are active in the market or typical for this kind of building as well. Knowing how to review a lease, knowing the difference between a full service gross lease, an industrial gross lease, a net lease, or any variation thereof. It's pretty important because it'll dictate how much is going to be an expense to you as a landlord. And then there's also provisions in the lease as well that can allow you to recapture a lot of your operating expenses as well. Those are two pretty important ones. If it's a building that has some vacancy or that has some role in the, in the leases in the next one to three years, knowing what the market is doing as well. So being able to pretty accurately predict what you're going to be able to lease those spaces for on a per square foot basis, as well as what the market is doing in terms of tenant improvements. If you buy a building with 10,000 square feet of vacancy, it's important to know what the market is doing, what other landlords are offering in terms of concessions to fill those vacancies. On the retail market, for example, in certain parts of San Francisco, such as in, in the Marina District, Union Street, these high-end shopping corridors, landlords can get away with not offering any concessions or any tenant improvement allowance. But on the office market, it's not rare to find anywhere from a 10 to $30 a square foot tenant improvement allowance for tenants' build-outs and tenant improvements. Having some sort of a working knowledge of that is also very helpful in, in allowing you to accurately predict your cash flows for the next whatever your holding period is going to be. In terms of the type of leases that not only the tenants, but also the landlords prefer, can you shed a little bit of light there? For Class A and even Class B buildings in the financial district or kind of core central business district of San Francisco, it's pretty common to have full service gross leases, which essentially means that the rent covers the base rent and the operating expenses, utilities, typically also janitorial is provided by the landlord. So it's kind of like an all-inclusive in a way lease. That's pretty typical for class A and class B buildings that are multi-tenant. That could also present an opportunity, for example, if you're looking at an asset or a building that is a class B building and all the leases are full service gross and maybe you had an absentee owner that wasn't really managing all the expenses well. It could present an opportunity to a new to a new buyer to come in and renegotiate some of the vendor contracts and really kind of optimize the way that those operating expenses are being handled. A full service gross lease could present a lot of expense for the landlord. It could also present an opportunity when they're being mismanaged. Can you elaborate on what is a full service gross lease? The landlord is paying all the building operating expenses, including the janitorial and the utilities and all that. What are some things that an investor should make sure to cover during the underwriting process? It's important to look at the leases, be able to understand what the recapture ability is going to be, if any. When you purchase a property, if you're able to look at the lease and there's a provision in which the landlord or a new owner is able to recapture, for example, the increase to the basis of the property tax. The property tax is usually the biggest expense that a landlord that has a full service gross lease building like an office building will have to pay. Knowing what your rental projections are going to be for filling any vacancies, what's a realistic number of what the market is doing for this type of product in this location. I think just from talking to other brokers that are active in the community, they can give you a pretty good sense as to what that's going to be. A lot of brokers will just kind of readily give that information in hopes of, hey, if you're a, a new building owner that's going to be uh, buying an asset in this location, clearly if you don't already have an existing relationship, 
they could very well be trying to build a, a new relationship with you in the hopes that you end up working with them to fill those vacancies. Looking at the operating expenses of the building, one potential pitfall, if you look at the historicals for a building the way it was operated, you want to make sure that those aren't missing anything that you may want to implement into your operating expenses as well. If you're acquiring it from an institutional or very savvy or sophisticated operator or investor, then chances are that their numbers are going to be pretty sound. But if you're acquiring it from family or an individual or an absentee owner, then there may be some operating expenses that they weren't including that you may want to include as well. When we were talking about taxes, one thing I want to highlight that is important for people to know is when you are leasing from a property that the owner has been the owner for, let's say, a decade, and they bought the property for a million dollars, and now the owner is selling for $10 million dollars, the property tax basis is going to increase quite significantly, especially for some tenants. So that's another thing that you should always keep in mind and be mindful of for your tenants. To the tenant that is a sophisticated, knowledgeable enough, or that is properly advised when they negotiate the lease, this is something that they often will seek protection from. So I'm glad you touched on that because when you are reviewing the leases, you want to make sure that you look through all of them carefully because a lot of times, even if the leases appear like your boilerplate template leases, a lot of times there could be provisions that were amended or modified pertinent to that specific lease negotiation. So you could have a tenant that has a provision added that they have protection against an increase to the property tax basis as one of their operating expense pass-throughs. That's something that could just be included in one lease out of 10. They occupy 50% of the building and you miss that one part and you were expecting to be able to recapture a part of that, that could be a pretty significant amount of money that you're missing out on in that first year or the first two years of your operation of the new investment. On the tenant side, I would say that it's always advisable to have an attorney review the lease equipping yourself with as many qualified eyes on your on this legal document as possible. So whether it's an experienced broker and in tandem with uh, an attorney that specializes in real estate is going to give you the best chance that you can really catch something that could be not necessarily detrimental to your business in the next 12, 24 months, but something that could end up affecting you five years down the road during an acquisition. If you wanted to sell or, or change control of your company, for example, these leases do get very specific sometimes with the rights and remedies that a landlord has, even with change of control of a tenant's company, for example. What are some things that we as landlords should keep in mind when leasing office space to companies? What are some things that are important to companies when looking for office space? In this market, which is probably kind of ubiquitous throughout the greater market across the United States, is that the tech industry has been the predominant driver of the economy. And with that, the demand for tech-friendly creative space has been in high demand. The physical attributes that are highly associated with that are going to be ceiling height and natural light. When I first started, we used to be able to lease space with solid walls, maybe standard ceiling height quite easily, something that was pretty close to market. Now, since these attributes that are highly sought after by tech, they're a lot more picky with the aesthetic that they're after. And mm. there's a disparity even between, even in very similar locations, just based on aesthetic alone, that a lot of these companies are really willing to lease 
you can have two similar size spaces in almost identical location buildings right next to each other where one has eight to 10 foot ceilings, limited natural light, and the other one has 14 foot ceilings with abundant natural light. And there could be a $30, 30% swing in the rental rate that one tenant is willing to enter a lease at versus another just based on that alone. I would say that when you're negotiating on tenant improvement allowance or tenant improvements in general, you can give a tenant improvement allowance in which the tenant kind of conducts their own build out with landlord approval, or the landlord can provide a turnkey build out for the tenant. When you're negotiating on the tenant improvements in general, be aware of what can provide residual value in case in the future, the tenant vacates at the expiration of their lease or the tenant defaults. You don't want to necessarily end up with a space that has low utility to a wide variety of tenants. It's ideal to have a space that still has residual value. So a build out that can be suitable for a lot of different kinds of tenants. That way it saves you money at the expiration of that lease if you can reuse the existing build out for a new tenant. So retail is having a bit of a hard time because people don't know what is going to happen to retail. What do you think the future of office space is? Here in San Francisco and further down the peninsula in Silicon Valley as well, there's been an emergence of co-working space that are leasing huge blocks of office space. It'll be interesting to see how that shapes the landscape. I think that the type of tenants that they're going after are going to be growth companies where they're able to offer flexibility to companies that are growing that may not want to sign a three-year lease, which is kind of the the minimum that many landlords in this market are willing to enter a lease on. As far as the rest of the leasing around office space, it's strong around here. There was a little bit of a lull, I remember in 2016, talking to the broker community, people always have their speculations, things are slowing down, where's the economy going? Here we are in 2019, we have a 5% vacancy rate in San Francisco. The office market here is stronger than ever. As long as the economy continues to grow and businesses continue to hire, expand, the demand for office space is going to be strong. With the vacancy rate so low, it doesn't seem that we're able to really even meet the demand with the construction of new office space. It's hard for me to provide any sort of blanket statement, whether it's going to be you know California, the West Coast, or other top-tier cities. I'm pretty optimistic about the office market here in the Bay Area. And because there is such low supply, where are companies willing to go outside of San Francisco? Companies are still very much wanting to be in areas where other tech is, which is the core markets of San Francisco, the core areas of South of Market, South Park, what they call East Cut of San Francisco, and South Financial District and Financial District of San Francisco. So I wouldn't say that a lot of companies are really getting pushed out a lot. Is there anything else that you think our audience should know? If you're looking to get into investing in the office space market, there's a decent amount of information to learn. Being partnered with the right brokers, attorneys, and other professionals that are knowledgeable about office could really be a huge help during the due diligence process and knowing how to underwrite the deal, knowing the different aspects of a lease, what to look for in terms of how it affects the income and the cash flow, and knowing how to look at and analyze your expenses, looking in terms of your hold period and how you're going to increase the income, increase the NOI vacancies. Partnering with the right people is going to be critical to execute on that plan. Having a, a, a sound business plan that is realistic and in line with your goals, whether you're raising capital to acquire the asset or it's going to be funded on your own. Regardless, I think having the right team in place is going to be critical to executing on that business plan when buying an office building 
and then working with the right vendors and the right advisors for all the building systems as well is going to be a big part of that as well to operate the building and the asset in a way that is going to maximize your net operating income. How can our listeners get in touch with you? My email address is letter E as in Edward, Z as in Zebra, ez at cma-re.com. I'm pretty active on biggerpockets.com as well. If you're in San Francisco, my group and I host a monthly happy hour for real estate investors and other real estate professionals and entrepreneurs. would love the opportunity to connect with other like-minded people. What is the name of your meetup group? SF Real Estate Connection. I will put your email and all of this other information under show notes as well as the blog post. Eduardo, thank you so much again for your time. This has been incredibly valuable. I look forward to continuing chatting with you and seeing you grow. Thank you, Stephanie, for having me. And I really appreciate what you're doing for the commercial real estate community with this podcast. I want to let you know that I appreciate each and every single one of you for your drive to learn and for coming back for more. Thank you for being a listener. If you have any friends who would be interested in learning more about commercial real estate investing, make sure to share this podcast with them and I will see you next time.